Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites. And behold, the cry, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. And then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. And skipping ahead to chapter 4. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. And the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? And he said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground. And it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. But, Mo but the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. And so he put out his hand and caught it. And it became a staff in his hand. And that they may believe the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. And again, the Lord said to him, Put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous, like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. And so he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs, 
or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go, and I will be your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, O Lord, please send someone else. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand the staff with which you shall do the signs. Join me as we pray, preaching God's word. Father, we thank you, uh, even just reading this long passage, being reminded of you are a God who is not silent, but has spoken so much in so many various different ways to make yourself known to us. And yet we need your help to really understand and encounter you in a real true way. And so we pray that you might send your Holy Spirit uh, to work through our hearts, to bring uh, this text to life, to open our hearts to the truth that is there and the revelation of your glory and your love for us that we find in this passage. And we we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have you ever had an encounter that just changed everything about your life? It is it is Valentine's Day, so I have to sort of talk about, you know, the the meet cute encounters. And I'll I'll share my own that I had with Kim. We actually first met in middle school. We went to the same middle school. And she was in a middle school production of the musical Copacabana. Does anyone actually know? I'm just curious if anyone has ever heard of that musical. It's so dated at this point. Okay, we got, got it in the back. One, one guy in the back. It is a weird musical. It's about this showgirl that is, like, working at this Cuban nightclub, and she, like, gets kidnapped, and it's this whole crazy thing. Why in the world they were doing this in a middle school? I have no idea. That just shows you where public middle schools are going to. Just kidding. Um, but Kim was the showgirl. She was Lola, the showgirl. And I, I sat there in the audience, and that was the first time I saw her, and I was just love struck. And, and from that moment on, like, things completely changed for me. We had some ups and downs, twists and turns in our relationship, but we were a part of each other's lives ever since that moment. Maybe uh, for others of you... Um, it's not a romantic thing that's happened to you, but maybe something that's totally changed uh, the way you think about your vocation and what you're going to do for the rest of your life. Uh, I, I have a, this one cousin in, cousin-in-law, I guess is what you call him, uh, who told me he basically had this seemingly completely random conversation with this guy in an airport. It resulted in him getting this awesome job with this tech company, and that he now lives in Switzerland and just like has this super awesome life. Encounters, uh, whether it's romantic or vocational, uh, these life-changing moments 
I think they, they often introduce into our life uh, this new purpose and this new direction. And in this passage, that's exactly what we see happening with Moses. And he's having the encounter of all encounters. Uh, the God that we talked about who sees and knows last week, he's no longer just guiding history from behind the scenes. He himself is stepping into the story that he's written. He appears to Moses just as Moses is really at a point in his life where all his hopes and dreams are probably long dead. And in appearing to Moses, God invites him to be this key figure in the story that he is writing. And it changes everything about his life and about what God is doing in the world. And and that's what we're going to consider tonight. What, What do we learn from this encounter that God, that Moses has with God. And we're gonna look at this from three angles. One, the calling of the great I am. Two, the question of who am I? And three, the answer of I will be with you. So first, the calling of the great I am. I mean, this, this really is a crazy encounter. Like Moses has been out in the wilderness for, for 40 years at this point. He was already 40 years old when it first happened. So he's this 80-year-old guy working like one of the lowest jobs you could have at the time. It was really was despised. And he's out in the middle of nowhere. And he's at, he's, at this point in his life, his, his life is just seems to be this failure. And God shows up to call him into this grand redemption plan that he has. And Moses is like kind of overwhelmed, freaking out at first. I mean, I think you would be if like this burning bush just randomly started talking to you if you were walking around on campus and saw that happen. Uh, and, and he finally is like, okay, something's happening. Maybe this is God. He rightly is getting a little bit afraid. And, and once God has got his attention, he gives him the call. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses has some questions about this call. First of all, who are you, really? And, and, I, am I just supposed to go up to the children of Israel and just say, hey, uh, your God appeared to me and, and told me uh, to come get you to rebel against this incredibly powerful ruler with all these armies and, and just leave and go worship him in the wilderness? And so the Lord gives him a few answers, especially regarding his name. He says, tell them I am who I am sent you. And then he says, tell them I am sent you. And then finally, tell them the Lord, this word in the Hebrew, Yahweh, sent you. This passage is one of the most unique, most important revelations of who God is in all of Scripture. Every time you see that word, Lord, in all capitals in your English Bible, you're, you're seeing this word here, Yahweh. Uh, and in its roots, it, it's tied to the Hebrew verb to be. Uh, and everything that has been said in this passage is, is trying to help us give an idea of what, it, what is this saying? What is the significance of this name? Yahweh is the ever-existing, eternal, uncreated one. Just like the bush he is continually burning. He has no origin. He doesn't need a fuel source. No one names him. He names himself. And this is the starting point of God's calling in our life, realizing that God exists and everything and all of creation revolves around him. He is at the center. He gives life to all of us. 
life and breath and everything. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. We're not going to have any sense of why we're here, what our purpose is, if we don't get that first. And, And maybe you felt this, like maybe you weren't a Christian. Maybe you're here tonight, you're not a Christian. Or maybe in the past, you were not a Christian. Or maybe you just find yourself in this intense season of doubt. What does that feel like? I I can almost guarantee there's a sense of purposelessness, especially when you slow down and you actually think about life and why am I here? Why am I doing what I'm doing? You feel this immense pressure to, to create your own purpose and meaning and calling in your life. But if you do believe, even if you're still a little uncertain about it, I can guess you felt some sort of call. If you've entered into a relationship with God, there's something about encountering him that involves being immediately invited to what he's doing in the world. God's revelation of himself to us is just intimately tied up with his redemptive plans for his people and his kingdom in this world. You can't divorce being a Christian from being on mission and, and having a calling. And, and for some of us, like myself, that, that ends up being a full-time vocational thing. But even if your job is not in ministry, you are still, in Peter's words from 1 Peter chapter 2, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may pro- proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so this call coming from this self-existent, uncreated God, if you really experience it, it's a call that you can't refuse. But often, like, uh, you know, receiving that call from someone that you know is going to ask you something really important, I think a lot of us want to let God's call in our lives go to voicemail. Uh, Maybe we'll accept, okay, he's real. Yeah, there's no way this this world could exist um, without a creator. But we're not ready to be a part of what he's doing in the world. Uh, and often we, we go to our own circumstances and the struggles in our lives. And this brings us to our second point, the question of who I am. So, so Moses, he's come to face with this great I am, this uncreated eternal God. He's had this experience that like few will ever have. What does he do? It's interesting he doesn't like ask himself if he's like hallucinating or something. I think a lot of us might think that. Uh, rather, he, he turns his attention inward to himself and his own shortcomings. He, he immediately re- replies to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And God is so patient with him. He answers Moses' questions. He reassures him uh, of all he's planning to do and tells him, Moses, exactly what he's going to have to say and do. But Moses keeps pressing In the beginning of chapter 4, we read, Behold, they will not listen to me or listen to my voice or believe me. They will say, The Lord did not appear to you. Uh, And then he just gets real specific in verse 10. O Lord, I'm not eloquent, uh, either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and tongue. He's just throwing, like he's going through all the excuses he could come up with to resist this calling of God on his life. And, you know, we don't know exactly what was wrong with Moses. Like, did he have a speech impediment? 
Was he an introvert? Maybe he just had a lot of trouble pronouncing certain words. That's not something I could relate to at all. Um, but the specifics of his limitations aren't really the point. The point is he has just totally turned away his sight from this glorious God that is calling him, and, and he is facing inward. And, and it's so insane. He is afraid of Pharaoh, yet he's willing to sit here and debate with the God of the universe. And, and let's be fair to Moses. He has had a complicated life. We, we had to skip over this a little bit last week, but a lot of you know the story. He, his family had to give him up as a newborn to be raised by Pharaoh's daughter um, to save his life. And then in chapter 2, you know, he tries to actually get re in, in touch with his heritage and to stand up for his people, and the whole thing just backfires. He gets in you know, one little fight and gets scared, and his life's flipped upside down, and he goes to Midian. <laughs> Trotta got that subtle little reference there. Moses probably looked back at his life and he, he just had created like this narrative of, yeah, okay, maybe God is real, but I'm a mess. Like, I'm just going to be out here as a shepherd, just passing time until I die. And, and he uses this narrative of his, of his own shortcomings to stand up against the very calling of God. He, he presents himself in this very humble way. But if you think about it, it is incredibly proud. But, but isn't this us? So much of the time. Like, if you're a Christian here tonight, you've been pursued and called by the very God who holds every atom of existence together every moment of the day. He has burst into your life. And yet, if we're really honest, we are constantly consumed all day with this question of, who am I? And there's something probably about college in particular that really brings this question to the forefront. Uh, and much about that, I think, is quite good. It's actually why I do college ministry. I just love this season because so many of you guys are asking really good questions of just like, why am I here? What is my purpose in life? Who am I? Uh, but so often this identity creation can go wrong. We, we start creating these narratives about ourselves to to either justify ourselves and lift ourselves up or to belittle ourselves or to excuse ourselves from certain things. You know, I, I'm, I'm a member of this fraternity or this sorority, so that means this. Or I'm, I run cross country, I'm on the football team, so that means this. Or I have this leadership position. Or I come from this kind of family. Or I've had this really difficult experience in my life. Or, you know, probably thinking about it today, uh, I'm in a serious relationship, and that really defines me. Or I'm not in a serious relationship. And I feel like that really defines me. Whatever it is, I think we're all constantly in this project of, of crafting this identity of, and narrative of who we are. And we often are doing it to protect ourselves. And I, know, I know one of the cre- increasingly popular ways to do this right now is with personality tests. And I am the chief of sinners here. Uh, if you get to know me, it, you will find very quickly, uh, I'll probably like try to type you and figure out what your Myers-Briggs or Enneagram is. And I do this because it, I think it is a really great tool to understand yourself and others. Um, but it can also be a way to create this protective narrative around yourself, uh, to use your identity to be like, well, I know God wants me to do that, but 
I don't, that's not me. That doesn't fit with my personality. Yeah, I could see Moses here being like, God, I, you should know I'm an Enneagram 9, so I'm not really good with conflict. Uh, I, can't go con- I can't confront Pharaoh. Like, you've you got to go find like an Enneagram 8 to do that for you. Uh, or maybe he's just, you know, he's an introvert, and he's saying, you know, God, I'm just really, I like to be a wallflower. I want to be behind-the-scenes person. I'm not, I'm not the upfront guy. But the Lord isn't having any of it. Uh, look, at, look at verse 11. Uh, this is, I think, the point where the Lord is starting to get kind of, he's been so patient with Moses and he gets frustrated. He says, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Moses has totally lost sight of the fact that all the circumstances of his life, even his personality that has been developed, it's not an accident. It's not a mistake. It's not something out of God's control. God was behind all of it. That's really what I was trying to emphasize last week as we were looking at Exodus 1 and 2. God is always working behind the scenes. All of Moses' life was in God's hands. He wasn't surprised when he had the incident, got in the fight, and went out into the wilderness for 40 years. And it wasn't a waste spending 40 years in the wilderness shepherding really probably frustrating sheep at at times because he was about to take on the shepherding gig of a lifetime. And maybe it's this very humility and shyness and, and lack of skill that he's putting forth that actually makes him far more usable by God than if he was this super charismatic, awesome speaker, great leader guy. And even on a more practical level, Moses is losing sight of the fact that he actually has a lot of good experience. He was raised in Pharaoh's court. He has this dual citizenship of being an Egyptian and a Hebrew. He is a great representative for God's people. And I think the same is so true for us. Who you are is not an accident. Your life experience Everything that shaped your personality and the way you handle life has been providentially tailored by God to accomplish his call on your life. His calling is not in conflict with the struggles and the circumstances you find yourself in. His providence has carved out those channels in your life that you've experienced, whether through nature, you're just born with it, or through nurture, so that his grace can flow through it. And I, and I think, despite it's amazing, despite the truth of what I've just said, I love how the Lord still comes in and meets Moses halfway. He, he doesn't let Moses off the hook completely, but he does listen to what he's saying and kind of condescends to him. He, he gives him these signs and wonders that he can show the people of Israel. He gives him his brother Aaron to speak for him. And this gracious concession brings us, is pointing us to the last point tonight, um, the answer of I will be with you. Over and over again, the Lord tells Moses this. Um, you know, it's getting a little dated by now. It's crazy. I looked it up. This movie came out in 1995 before any of you are born. But I think most of you have seen it. The original Toy Story. Who has actually seen the original Toy Story? Pretty much everyone. Okay, cool. 
Um, so you know the general story. The toys are secretly alive. They're Andy's toys. They're like all devoid, devoted to this kid. Uh, and they end up getting lost, and they have to find their way back home. And at one point, Buzz uh, Lightyear, you know, the Space Ranger toy, this new toy that came in the beginning of the story, uh, the whole time he thinks he's actually a Space Ranger, which is just the awesome comedy of the whole movie. But then he has this moment where he's just confronted with this reality that he is, in fact, just a toy. And he's just totally thrown into despair, uh, he says, you know, he's in conversation with Woody and they're just not, know- they're stuck. They don't know what's going to happen next. And he's like, I'm not a space ranger. I'm just a stupid, insignificant little toy. And yet Woody, who is beautiful because he was his enemy at the start of the movie, he, he starts preaching back to him. Being a toy is a whole lot better than being a space ranger. Look Look, over in that house is a kid who thinks you are the greatest. You are his toy. And then Buzz, he looks down the sole of his boot, and he sees Andy's name written on there with permanent marker. And he suddenly, like, perks up. He's springing into action. He is totally freed from the despair, from this assurance that he belongs to and he is loved by Andy. And that is what Moses needs here. That is what we need as we are struggling with this question of who are we to hear, you're the one that I will be with. We belong to the Lord. Moses may feel like he, he's made this complete mess of his life. But again, it's, it's not up to Moses. It's not up to us who make ourselves good enough for God to work through us. All that matters is that the Lord would be with us. I will be with your mouth and I will teach you what you shall speak. And this is the very promise that Jesus gives the disciples before he leaves them and he ascends to the Father. We read in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all That I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I am with you always. I'm not limited by your personality or your skill set. I'm not limited by your wisdom or your intelligence or your faithfulness. And that's all we need to embrace and accept God's call on our lives, to know he is with us and he defines who we are. But back uh, a couple weeks ago in interim, I was hanging out with some of you guys in Burwell and I ended up, there was a few people at the table that had never met me and they were like looking over at their friends and being like, oh, is this the Jesus person? And I, I, it was kind of funny, like, I don't know if they meant it, like, is this little joke or like a jab at me, but it like really stuck with me, like, that is true. Like, That is probably the best way to describe this random dude who looks too old to be a student, but not professional enough to be a professor that's just hanging out in Burwell all the time. He's the Jesus person. And the reality is everyone here tonight, if you have trusted in Jesus, you are a Jesus person too. You are defined by the fact that he is with you. His name becomes tied to your name and your identity. 
being a Christian, it, it's, it's not about just going through all these identities and doing all these things. It is about becoming a son or daughter of God, of realizing more and more how much God is with you. And to really prove how much God was willing to be with us, that's what we see happening in our incarnation of Jesus, the Son of God, the great I am, the one who, Hebrews says, upholds the universe by the word of his power. He became like us. He became like Moses. He, he spent years and years and years out in this obscure town working a menial, obscure job. And he did all of it in order that he might become like us, that he might go to the cross to bear our sins, to die for everything past, present, and future, so that that promise that he gave the disciples and gives all of us, I will be with you always to the end of the age, that that would be sealed and guaranteed. And with that reality in our hearts, I think that can help us more and more to trust the call that he has on our lives, to take up our cross and follow him. Let me close us in prayer.